Well, good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, December the 22nd. My name is JB with Not By Works uh, Ministries, and we've got our good friend Randy that will be joining us here momentarily for uh, this podcast. I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. You know, we're just three days out from the day that we uh, traditionally mark the birth of our Savior. And so I'm sure that if you're like us, you've got a lot of family and friends uh, either on the way or making plans or perhaps already there gathered around and just enjoying time together. I know that's what we've been doing uh, this week. I, most of our Not By Works uh, constituents probably know that we've been on vacation this week. We head home uh, Christmas Eve, just in time for our Christmas Eve service at Plum Creek Chapel there in Sedalia, Colorado. Uh, but we've had a wonderful week. All of our six kids and uh, those that have spouses, their spouses and uh, other relatives just gathered together, enjoying a wonderful time, uh, playing games and uh, seeing shows and doing other things. And so appreciate your prayers and patience. I know our phones have continued to ring off the hook, but we had a vacation message on there. And so lots of voicemails to return next week, lots of emails to return uh, next week. But uh, it's just been a great, refreshing and much needed time for uh, my family, for Wendy and all of our kids and and so thanks for your prayers and just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas from the Hicksons and from a Not By Works Ministries. And I want to remind you, too, that uh, it's not too late to send someone a last minute Christmas gift. We have a Not By Works online store gift cards that uh, are, you know, are great for just emailing someone and then they can go to our store, use that gift card for any of our books and DVDs and other streaming video and other resources all of our resources at Not By Works, of course, are solid biblically. They come from a traditional dispensational pre-tribulational point of view. And most importantly, they're very clear and accurate on the gospel, which is what matters most. And so I just want to remind you about that. If you're looking for a stocking stuffer or something like that, you can certainly take advantage of that. Just go to notbyworks.org, click on the store button, and then you'll see a gift card option there right on the main page of the store. Well, before we uh, bring on Randy, I just wanted to take a moment to reflect on uh, my perspective on things uh, in the news. You know, it's uh, it's been amazing uh, what's happening. We see continued global unrest everywhere. And I just started thinking stream of consciousness about several passages that remind us that as time goes on and we get closer to the return of our Lord, we're going to uh, see more and more unrest globally. We're going to see nation rising against nation. We're going to see wars and all kinds of a global conflict. And so I just want to walk us through a few passages and sort of make the case that these are all signs of the times. I'm calling today's podcast Global Unrest and the Great Reset. Now, I've talked elsewhere about the greatest reset, and we have a, a section in our book, a Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, that talks about the greatest reset when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns uh, to take the throne and rule with a perfect peace and righteousness and justice with a rod of iron. You know, in just three days, we're going to be celebrating the humble birth of our Savior. I'm going to be sharing a message from Plum Creek Chapel on Christmas Eve night entitled An Unexpected Birth and looking at some of the uh, contrast between uh, his first advent and his second advent. He came first as a suffering servant, uh, crowned with thorns, he will come a second time as a victorious warrior and be crowned uh, with a diadem. And so 
Uh, I just uh, can't help but think as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, uh, what it's going to be like someday when Christ comes back and makes all things new, something we all desperately long for. And this world is, is as Paul says, crying out with uh, groanings, uh, what, what, looking for the redemption of all of creation. And so uh, Randy's going to give us in a moment some of his perspective geopolitically uh, based on some of his contacts and sources and research. But I just want to walk us through biblically why all of this matters and what really is happening in terms of Bible prophecy. So global unrest and the Great Reset. We know that the Luciferian elite are striving desperately to usher in the Great Reset, the, the once-for-all, in their mind, one-world system, politically, religiously, and economically. They've been striving to do this really since Satan got kicked out of heaven 6,000 years ago. But in earnest, for the last 100 years or so, they've really been ratcheting it up, and they see uh, the, this current decade that we find ourselves in as uh, the final decade. They, they, they are heading towards the end game. This is it. They think they're going to cross the finish line and accomplish this, quote, great reset. And remember, as I've pointed out in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, the Great Reset is not something that came about as a opportunistic uh, plan after COVID. COVID was planned for 22 years in advance. It was a bioweapon and a, a, a tool in the hands, a pre-planned tool in the hands of the uh, Luciferians. But the Great Reset has been planned long before that. They just kind of merged with the COVID plan and, and are using all of it together to push the ball across the goal line from their perspective. So global unrest and the great reset, this is what they're striving to do. And so I want to just kind of mention a couple of passages. I'll, I'll start, start with Proverbs 29, 18, which says where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. That's a very typical contrasting parallelism uh, in Proverbs, you see this in Hebrew poetry. Uh, it's a couplet, two lines. The first makes a statement. The second repeats the same principle uh, by contrast. Uh, so that's why it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But by contrast, happy is he who keeps the law. What is he talking about there? Well, first of all, the word revelation in Hebrew refers to prophetic utterance or the prophetic word of God. In other words, when there is no proclamation of the word of God, people will cast off restraint. There will be nothing there restraining them. And what do we see happening as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return? People are marginalizing the Bible, shunning the Bible, denigrating the Bible, uh, re rejecting the Bible. Even many churches have uh, forgotten what they're supposed to be all about, which is the proclamation of the word of God, and they've become nothing more than uh, social clubs. You know, on our drive from Colorado to Missouri, where we're spending this week for vacation, we, we saw a church sign, and the name of the church, I kid you not, was Country Club Christian Church. <laughs> Wendy and I both got quite a chuckle out of that. I don't remember what town it was in, but it was called Country Club Christian Church, and I thought to myself, well, I mean, you might as well own it. If that's what you're going to be, you might as well uh, just come right out and let people know, but that's what most churches are. They're there's no prophetic utterance, that is to say, in today's world, there's no proclamation of the Word of God, and therefore people are casting off restraint. And so we're seeing that happen globally at the, at the national political levels as war, entire world governments that 
at least once upon a time, used to have some sense of morality and some sense of providential presence have now abandoned it altogether. And it's uh, just uh, do whatever they want to accomplish their power. And then uh, Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that uh, one of the things that the church is doing today as, a, as God's uh, focal group in this present age, you know, the the church is uh, the bride of Christ. We are center stage right now in the world. We have a purpose to serve. Uh, but at some point in the future, as we know, the Lord is going to call the church to meet him in the air at the rapture. And then God's spotlight will once again shift back to Israel. God is not through with Israel. Israel has a future nationally and politically. And uh, God is not finished with his plan with Israel. He's just temporarily set them aside during the present church age. But once the church is removed, Paul says that there is a restraining influence that will be removed. Notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. That phrase, what is restraining, is one word in Greek. It's a verb. It's actual, actually a participle. In other words, it's, it would be better translated, and now you know that which is restraining, uh, but I, I like the New King James Version, what is restraining, because it's not referring here to the Holy Spirit himself, but rather to the Holy Spirit's work in and through the church. In other words, as the church is still here on earth doing our job, and every believer in the present church age has the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 makes that clear, uh, then if we're doing our job and walking in the Spirit and following the Spirit, we are going to have a positive influence on the world around us. We're going to be a restraining influence. Now, we go, Paul goes on to say, um, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's a key passage for my two book uh, series, The Spirit of the Antichrist. Those books are still available. Just go to spiritoftheantichrist.org spiritoftheantichrist.org, and you can read all about volume one and volume two, and uh, and you can purchase them right there. That We've uh, just continued to see amazing things happen with those books. We're excited to be on Prophecy Watchers uh, next month and back on Jan Markell in February and several other interviews lined up, Lamb and Lion. Uh, I did an interview that will be posted hopefully in January. So God is getting the word out about, uh, first of all, the gospel, second of all, the soon coming of our Lord, and thirdly, the Luciferian conspiracy uh, that involves Satan, demons, and human accomplices that are working together uh, for nefarious means to usher in this one world system. So uh, pick up those books if you don't have them already, spiritoftheantichrist.org. But the premise of that is that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. And Paul says something similar here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And now watch, only he who now restrains, that's, again, the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent because he's God. So it's not like the Holy Spirit can be removed from any locale. He, he is omnipresent. So sometimes people think that after the rapture, the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth. That's a, a gross theological error and it completely ignores the Trinity and, and the omnipresence of our, of our God. And so what he's talking about here is that the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit will be removed when the church is taken out of the way. <clears throat> so again, we see this idea of you know, a restraint. So we've already talked about how 
the <clears throat> proclamation of the word helps restrain. And now we see how the, the church is a restraining influence because of the Holy Spirit's work in and through us. And then we can go to Jesus' teaching uh, in the Olivet Discourse. Now, keep in mind, he's talking here about the future tribulation period, not necessarily the lead up to the tribulation period. We know this for dozens of reasons, which I've enumerated elsewhere in my teaching on the Olivet Discourse. But uh, most notably, he says that these things that I'm about to read are, he says, these are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs. And birth pangs in the Old Testament is a very clear technical term to refer to the tribulation period, the great day of the Lord's wrath. And so uh, the seven-year tribulation is the birth pangs that will lead up to the return of Christ at the end of the seven years in connection with the Battle of Armageddon. So Jesus is talking about activities that will take place during that seven years. But again, if we know what's going to happen during the seven years, and we see rumblings of that happening already, even before the tribulation has started, it should be a clue of the signs of the times that Christ's return is getting closer. So listen to what Jesus says. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pangs. So again, it's only going to get worse and worse, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.13. And if the tribulation period will be marked by a time of utter chaos and lack of restraint, as we've already talked about, and it will be marked by a time of wars and rumors of wars, then the closer we get to that time, the more we ought to hear the drumbeats of war, hear and see the saber rattling. And as Randy's going to explain in a moment, that's exactly what we see happening. Just a couple more verses here. In the tribulation again, we see the sealed judgments in Revelation uh, chapter 6, the first of which is the Antichrist, who is uh, given a bow, or he had a bow, and he was given a crown, and he goes out to conquer and conquering. Again, a reference there to global conflict and global unrest. And then a, a red horse, uh, that was the white horse, the first seal judgment. Then the second one is the red horse, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And it was given to him a great sword. So again, a reference there to global conflict and bloodshed. And then uh, some Old Testament passages here that speak of this coming global conflict. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, a great chapter. You should go back and read the whole chapter sometime. Beautiful chapter describing the return of the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. In other, in other words, there's going to be all these national alliances and global alliances uh, coming together. And then Isaiah chapter 19, I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor, city against city and kingdom against kingdom. Again, a, a further evidence that the, the further the, the, the further down the road we get, the closer we get to the end of the age, the more global unrest and chaos there is going to be. And then I love this last one here from the prophet Haggai. You don't hear much about Haggai, but great uh, prophet here, uh, post-exilic prophet. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms, 
I will overflow, I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them, the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. So we see clearly prophetic scriptures that speak of global unrest. Um, uh, and, and, and this is only going to get worse and worse the closer we get uh, to the return of Christ. And as we are about to hear from Randy, that's exactly what is happening. It sure seems like somebody, and by that I mean the, the Luciferians uh, at the behest of Satan himself, the leader of this conspiracy, are doing everything they can to draw the United States and other nations into a global conflict. Randy, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the program and look forward to hearing what you've got for us. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope you're um, enjoying this Christmas with the bitter cold and the snow and everything that makes it Christmassy, Christmassy like. Um, enjoy this Christmas. And I mean, really enjoy this one because what is on the uh, cusp of the future uh, next year might not be quite so much that we enjoy. And so I'll go over a few things and then um, kind of uh, update everybody on some stuff. But first, we've been talking in the last few weeks about UFOs and uh, demons and everything else. And so I decided to do a little bit of research as to how, how far this actually goes back. Now, I'm just going to start with American history. history. I'm not going to go into other civilizations or anything else. But we've had many presidents that have been aware of the other world late. And I remember, uh, let's see, Dennis Kucinich and uh, Jimmy Carter. When they first said that they had seen UFOs, I got a pretty good laugh out of that. I snickered for days on that going, yeah, whatever, you know, here's the Twilight Zone music and let's move on. But the more I look, this goes all the way back to the days of George Washington. In, 1970, or in 1777, George Washington during the uh, Valley Forge days was very, very depressed. But one night he had a dream and he saw an orb and it told him he would win. He got up the next morning with renewed vigor and Continental Army seemed to change overnight. They um, finished that war off in a fairly short time. And then we go on to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson saw orbs many times during his presidency, which they don't give a lot of information as to what happened before or after, but he was aware of otherworldly presences. Ben Franklin was aware of otherworldly beings. Abe Lincoln, before his assassination, he supposedly had a dream that he was in a vessel, a long vessel going down a river, and that the North was going to win the war and be okay, uh, which turned out the North won the war and the country moved on. In 1907, Theodore Roosevelt saw a bright orb over Sagamore Hill. It, it made him think deeply of what he was doing and where he was going and that next day, he created the United States Navy, which I find pretty interesting that he would have gotten that from that, but whatever. Uh, during World War II, the Truman years, we know that's when the UFOs started, when the uh, 
atomic testing took place. And that was the heyday of UFOs for a while in there. Uh, created the National Security Act of 1947, which basically said, you know, we're not going to discuss UFOs anymore. We're going to keep that and atomic bombs, all of that top secret. And from now on, we're not discover, we're not going to discuss it with the public. In 1954, Eisenhower was in Palm Springs. He was supposed to be out golfing when an emergency meeting was called. He was taken by his um, administration away from the golf course, and he was gone for hours. When he came back, he said nothing about the meeting that had took place. But it comes to pass that some people made remarks later on. The remarks were basically he had met with the aliens, and for them giving us their technology, he was willing to keep that story quiet. Now, if that did or did not take place, I have no idea, but it's kind of interesting how things have been clamped down since then, and it makes you wonder if indeed something took place. We have Richard Nixon taking Jackie Gleason to an airbase and showing him dead alien bodies. That so upset Jackie Gleason that he was beside himself for days. He didn't, he couldn't comprehend what he had actually seen and why he had been able to see it. But it's basically because of his relationship with Nixon. Now, moving on to what's going on in the world today. Let me interject if can, I can just about the UFOs. Sure. So, uh, you, you dug a little deeper and went back to the early days of our country, but I think, uh, I know we're always picking up new listeners here at Not By Works and some folks might not have uh, heard us talk about this previously, but in volume two of Spirit of the Antichrist, I have a chapter on UFOs, UAP, and the U.S. government. And in that chapter, there's a whole section called U.S. Presidents and UFOs. And I tell the the Nixon uh, and Jackie Gleason story and yes. some of these others. And what I find interesting, you mentioned 1954 with Eisenhower. Well, in 52, when Truman was president, that was when they had the famous uh, UFO flap over Washington D.C. And, and it was widely covered by major news outlets. It was there were, you know, congressional emergency hearings convened. Uh, I mean, it, this was a well known. In fact, some of our listeners that were old enough to remember that in 52 may uh, quite uh, may remember it. But it was uh, it was, you know, UFOs hovering right over the White House on two consecutive uh, weekends and causing widespread uh, panic. And so, uh, it you know, the headlines were from coast to coast. Uh, the Washington Post headline was Saucer Outran Jet. Um, the New York Daily News, Jets Chased D.C. Sky Ghosts. Uh, the uh, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Saucers Swarm Over Capitol. Uh, the Times Tribune in Scranton, Air Force Orders Anti-Saucer Alert. Uh, there's a lot of video footage of what later became known as the D.C. invasion. And so it, it really was unnerving to our government officials. But anyway, uh, before you move on, just wanted to mention that, of course, we believe biblically that these are dimensional uh, beings. They're demonic in nature. These are not actual little green men from Mars or uh, aliens. And I know for some of our listeners, that might bother you because, you know, you've kind of been following UFOs for, perhaps for a long time and bought into the fact that they are biological and other from another planet. But uh, 
we we always have to interpret uh, experience through the lens of scripture. We never interpret scripture through the lens of experience. And so, uh, as I understand scripture and, and understand the demonic realm, and as Ann, uh, Randy mentioned, going back to World War II, I think that's when it, we got Satan's attention as things were heating up with the reestablishment of Israel and the demonic activity began to really flourish. So, anyway, yeah, thanks for thanks for that little summary of the of the presidential connection to UFOs, Randy. I'm glad you brought that up about Washington, D.C., because I was going to mention that later. But since you brought that up, you know, it was so widespread that everybody was seeing it. Everybody was discussing what it was. And I don't believe they ever really made a decision as to what they were looking at, if I recall. Correct. That's right. No, they they. Well, it depends who you believe. I, I as I outline in the book, the I believe the military because this was at the height of Project uh, Blue Book uh, when it was really getting going right about that time. The precursors to that were Project Grudge. And um, I forget the other one, but I talk about them there in the book. Uh, so I think they knew that this was something unexplainable and otherworldly. They probably assumed it was aliens because they might not have a biblical worldview. Uh, but to the general public, there was never a satisfactory answer given. Yeah, that's what I recall, too. And even nowadays, when we have supposedly all this new information technology, they still they give us tidbits, and then all of a sudden they make it secret again. So you never know what they're really doing with the information. But on the current events, China's been fairly quiet the last couple of weeks, although they have increased their patrols around the um, island of Taiwan. The other day, instead of four or five aircraft, they had 39 aircraft, plus they've increased the ships around the island. So they appear to be getting ready to do something. Although right now they're somewhat preoccupied with their little battle in the mountains with the Indians in the Himalayas. They evidently have a couple of places that are, um, there's some discontent there. There's disagreement who owns what. So it's interesting that the armies in the Himalayas between the Indians and the Chinese their only weapons are sticks and bats and that type of um, um, armament. No guns, no artillery, no nothing because they're afraid it'll get out of hand. But I did watch the um, film that they had available on that and it looked like a bunch of little kids out of, on playground. They got upset with each other so they just started smacking each other. And when you consider a technologically advanced uh, nation like China and India, you kind of wonder what really upset them that it's that cold out, it's that high. And so you really want to go out and have a little battle out there in the snow. It just, it made no sense, except that I guess the, um, they found out that the Chinese have started a new dam, which will be bigger than the Three Gorges Dam. It'll be the largest dam system in the world. And it will basically shut off a lot of the water to India and all of the other countries that are um, downstream from it. So the battle in this area is evidently so they can keep an eye on each other. And the uh, Indians, I think, are the ones that were successful the other day. So they maintain their outposts so they can watch all of this happen. But nobody, I have never heard anybody say anything about the Chinese trying to uh, build a bigger dam because they need more water. But evidently that is something that's taking place. Um, Kosovo, Serbia. Um, they're asking for UN intervention again. 
a few years ago, we had a major war there. I think it was during the Clinton administration. And they're just, uh, it's another ethnic cleansing that they're trying to complete. And that area will never, never be happy from what I can see. Our friends in Turkey, uh, as we've said several times before, Turkey is pulling away from NATO. Turkey is currently in Northern Syria fighting the Kurds, which the United States supports. And basically their missiles going back and forth. The United States hasn't gotten directly involved yet, but they're thinking about it. The other day, um, Erdogan from Turkey threatened Greece. He said, you're close enough that we can hit you with missiles if we want to. Now, normally when you're in an alliance like NATO, you don't threaten each other like Turkey is doing right now. But then I found out last night that in Armenia, in Azerbaijan, we've talked about those before being on the east side of Russia going down into uh, Iran. The Armenians um, have some Russian troops in different bases there to hold the peace, but there are 120,000 Christians in an enclave there that the Azerbaijans want to destroy. They are shutting off their power. They are sending troops in, probing and prodding every day, seeing where the weak spots are. And the Christians in that area are afraid they're going to be annihilated sometime in the next month. Russia being concerned with Ukraine is not paying much attention to that area right now. Turkey so, is too. So, so they're going to get another sign of the times, uh, you know, the, the anti-Christian sentiment that is rising and targeting Christians, uh, you know, Satan, remember, this is a spiritual battle. I mean, this is a cosmic battle between good and evil, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, and Satan hates God, he hates Christ, and he hates followers of Christ. And so, of course, we're going to see, you know, regions where attacks are, are turning on uh, Christians. And I just want to add, you know, your comment there about the, the NATO countries sort of, you know, threatening each other. It seems like that should have been bigger news than it was, because that just seems like that's a very highly unusual thing. It is, but as we see, uh, some of the important things that are going on, they don't mention at all. And if it concerns Christians, I don't think they personally care right now. The problem is, in they have skirmishes there for the last few years. Problem is now Turkey lies to the south of Armenia, and they're getting involved too. And they are a Muslim country. They do not like Christians. And they're starting to assist the Azerbaijans in their attacks and providing them with weaponry. So since Turkey and Russia are becoming close friends very quickly, I would imagine the people in Armenia will be overrun sometime in the very near future, which provides pretty much an open access for the Russians to move south in that area when they want to. As soon as they're done in the Ukraine, they'll do a little mop up in the uh, Armenian area. And they'll have a direct tie to both Turkey and Iran. And this goes to the Gog Magog war that we've talked before. Everything is falling into place so that these different armies and different countries are, are going to be won very quickly. On the um, Ukraine forefront, the Russians are just about ready for battle. They have approximately 700,000 troops and the um, armament necessary to move west. Northern Ukraine is frozen, southern is not. 
but the um, general consensus is now. Everybody forgets that on the east side of Moldova, there is a Russian enclave named Transnistria. There are currently Russian troops there and they're Russian speaking and it goes down pretty much the east side of Moldova. Well, there's no doubt that when Russia takes Odessa, they're gonna move into Moldova and take those people with them, which is going to start a conflict with Moldova because Moldova says, that's our country and Russia says, no, those are Russian speaking, we're bringing them back. So the war in the Ukraine is not done by any means. With Poland and Romania and the United States constantly agitating the Russians, we are gonna get an actual battle here sooner than later. Um, we just, well, I think last night, okay, the uh, Patriot missiles to go to Ukraine, Poland has given them, um, Patriot missiles, and now Russia's to the point where they've had it with us too. They're moving their missiles, they're putting them in, into the silos, the large ones, they're preparing for battle, and they're getting their troops ready to move, and within the next week or two, that's probably going to take place. They have all the armament ready, uh, they've got all the evidence that the United States, Britain, and Poland have been messing in their affairs. I think when they start, uh, the battle will initially be just the Ukrainians, but I think it's going to quickly spread to NATO, to Poland, to the Baltic states, to Romania, to Moldova, and the United States. We don't know any better, so we're going to be involved too. Now, one thing to understand is the Patriot missile batteries, the only ones that know how to run those and work them are the United States. The Ukrainians have no one trained, and it takes up to a year to train people. So when these batteries are moved into the Ukraine, they will be manned by American soldiers and contractors. So we know we have a presence there now, but this will be in the Russians' face. It's gonna be like, these are our men, they're running our batteries, and Russia's going to, um, they're gonna to have to do something because they said if American troops move in, they're going to um, include the United States directly in the war. And from what it looks like, very short amount of time we're going to be directly involved instead of just as a proxy with the ukrainians like we are now um they announced a full mobilization of russian troops yesterday and they're talking about one and a half million people they've already got seven hundred thousand in place and they are conscripting drafting and uh, moving the other people with their will against their will into the armed forces and they should be ready in the next few months, at least for cannon fodder purposes. Um, it's concerning with the Russians still loading the ICBM missile silos. At first they said they were doing that for a celebration that they were going to uh, be having a week ago. Unfortunately, they continue to load the silos. Now, the only thing a person can ascertain from that is they are planning on going to battle. And I would imagine that battle is just weeks away. I can't imagine it being any more than that. Uh, Colonel McGregor and a lot of the other people that know what they're talking about expect a massive cyber attack, then an EMP against the United States, 
and in use of nuclear weapons. And you said the cyber attack will take a day or two. The EMP will be instantaneous. And then the nuclear attack, about a 60, 70% chance of that happening immediately on the heels of those. Now, the Russian- uh, you, you mentioned some time ago how they're waiting for the, the ground to freeze. How close are we getting to that tipping point? The North is frozen. The South now is starting to experience the colder temperatures. We're talking no more than two weeks unless there's some kind of a weather anomaly. But when I looked the other day, it was 20 degrees in the South. And so give it a week or two to freeze and then they should be um, ready to go. So between Christmas and New Year's, you can see things starting to happen. I would imagine it'll happen as fast as they can. They've got a lot of troops there. They're cold. They want them moving. And um, I think they're ready. So sometime between now and the very first part of January, I think Putin will give the go ahead. And why do we, as a, you know, the American leadership, why do we insist on hitching our wagon to either of these? I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about how both Zelensky and Putin are products of Klaus Schwab, and they are both evil uh, characters. I talked about that way back at the beginning of this invasion when I spoke uh, uh, for a conference there in Tulsa. I called it Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. Uh, so I'm not you're saying you know either side is be better. They're both pawns in the game. But what you know, who's running our country that we somehow think it's wise to align ourselves with Zelensky, support him with weapons and money? and poke the bear uh, of, uh, no pun intended, of, uh, of Russia? Well, now I think that the answer to that would be more in line with what you know. You know yeah. how the Luciferians act. You know that they're disjointed at times. Klaus Schwab, he thinks he's got the new world order. He, he knows everything. He and Soros, Gates, and everybody else. But we know that Russia has to maintain itself and has to create these battles to move southward to attack the Israelis in the Gog-Magog war. I cannot see anything stopping Russia at this time. Yeah, if mean, this is not the time of Gog-Magog, we could be talking 50 years before they'll ever be in a position like they are in now. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, all, everything's lining up. Again, we're not you know, we're not trying to let the newspapers be our standard for truth. We're going to the Bible first, but the Bible clearly outlines this war in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then we, we kind of see the, the stage being set. The principal actors in that battle are all lining up. And, and certainly from Russia's perspective, uh, you know, which is Magog <clears throat> in that passage, you know, they're like you said, this is an ideal opportunity. But as far as who's pulling the strings, it's never about what it's about. I say that all the time. It is very seldom about right. what it's about. And so clearly there are some powers that be that are fomenting war and, you know, uh, sucking our leaders into it. Because remember, their goal is to bring down America. We may think this is about the Ukrainians, the Russians, and the Chinese, and the Taiwanese, and we may think it's about over there, 
But make no mistake, America is the one nation standing in the way of the Luciferians and, and them rolling out their one world system. So it's all connected in one way or another. And, and I'm not suggesting that America is going to fall tomorrow. But guess what? It could. We are a powder keg. You know, we are uh, just a, a house of cards, whatever metaphor you want to use. Uh, we, we're on life support right now, economically and otherwise. So it certainly could. But we do know, regardless of the timing, which is known only to the Lord, ultimately, that's their plan. They want to bring down America. Well, and we know that Carl Schwab and George Soros hate America. Yeah. So I would imagine they're doing everything in the background to push us into a war, fully hoping that we are destroyed so that we're out of the way. Because the United States is probably the only country that really stands in their way. Once they get rid of the God-fearing, the conservatives, uh, the awake, as I call us, not the woke, um, they could do as they wish. I mean, you look at Washington, you look at Hollywood. It's a bunch of yes people. They'll do whatever they're told. Uh, Joe Biden has no clue what he's doing. No, not at all. And look at the military. I mean, if you need exactly proof that this latest uh, purging was by design and was part of their plan for rolling out the the the, the, the murderous gene editing bioinjections that have killed millions now, uh, if you needed any proof that that was part of a purging, we now have it because they've rescinded the mandate for military servicemen and women to get the vaccine, but as yet they have not gone back and made it retroactive and reinstated all of those God-fearing patriots who refused to take the jab because they knew how dangerous it was and at great personal cost, and I know some of these men and women, uh, at great personal cost, they left. And now since they, the military's admitted that it's no longer should be mandated because it's killing so many people, they've not reinstated them. I mean, that's, that's smoking gun evidence that clearly it wasn't about what it was about. So you're right. You know, our military has gone woke. Uh, you know, our education system went woke years ago. Uh, our politicians are woke. The whole, uh, you know, uh, system is coming crumbling down. And, and the reason Satan hates America and these people like Klaus Schwab and Voltors hate America is because they're Satan worshipers and Satan hates America. Why does Satan hate America? Because we love the Lord as a, as, as a general rule. I mean, <clears throat> we've drifted pretty far from our uh, traditional values, but no other nation in the history of the world has done as much to advance the cause of the gospel, to, to stand for freedom and, and you know, religious freedom and to uh, proclaim the word of God. And uh, so, you know, right now we're celebrating Christmas. You know, there are more people, I mean, I realize America's, you know, gone in a bad way. I get that. Uh, it's, it's apostate and, and we've lost our moorings. But even still, in spite of that, there are more people genuinely celebrating the birth of our Savior who gave his life uh, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world here in America than in any other part of the world. So that's why they hate America. Well, definitely. And, you know, between Soros, Schwab, and Bill Gates, they look at China as being the model society. The Chinese basically can do what they want, when they want. They can turn that economy quickly, whereas the United States can't because of our political parties, our infighting and everything else. So that, you know, if they're looking at China as the model, 
They need to get rid of the United States. They need to fracture NATO to get rid of NATO. NATO is the defensive organization slash alliance that's been present since World War, after World War II. And if they can fracture those nations, none of those nations will have a major say in anything that goes on. Uh, Germany, they're starting to go broke. They're freezing. France, they couldn't fight a war right now if they had to. Um, let's see. Italy is given humanitarian aid only. The British are having, uh, they're building warming shelters because their people don't have money to heat their homes. So in the very near future, NATO's going to tell the United States, look, you want to fight this war, you fight this war, but we can't afford it. We don't have the stomach for it. We have to protect our people. And I see that getting closer every day. Uh, I mean, look at Turkey. It, Turkey's to the place where they're going to leave anytime. You look at Germany, which is a um, industrial might as far as Europe goes, but they have no army. They could not bring an army forth to defend Germany at this time if they had six months to do it. Everybody relies on the United States. So you take down Big Brother, and then all of these countries will basically collapse into themselves. It's going to be like it was the early 1900s, the late 1800s. And then you can impose your will on them and get them to do exactly what you want. And, you know, Schwab, Soros, Gates, all the rest of them, they want it so they can manipulate everything. And if there's a major country standing in their way, like the United States, that's not going to happen. So I think it's just a matter of time until we see a total collapse monetarily, militarily, any other way you can think of, actually. And we're not and, just, uh, you know, we're not just doom and gloom, you know, <clears throat> people here. I think our listeners know that we're trying to proclaim the prophetic word of God. But the Bible is clear that we are headed towards a one world system. And at first it will be led by the Antichrist at the behest of Satan. Uh, and, and eventually it will be led by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So right now we're in a, a season of nationalism. I've talked about this elsewhere. <clears throat> God's divine design is for nation states, and we ought to defend that and resist globalism as long as we can. Uh, but we know that ultimately nationalism will fall, globalism will rise, and one day Christ will come back for the greatest reset of all, and make all things new, and everyone will worship him as the true king of kings and lord of lords. So this is all straight out of scripture. We're not suggesting when it's going to happen. We're simply heeding the words of our Lord in Matthew 16 to watch the signs of the times and not be deceived or blinded. And, you know, when we're talking about places of unrest in the world, look at the Middle East. Tehran, Iran is now, you know, in the fold of the Russians and the Chinese. The Israelis know they probably have an atom bomb and it's probably ready for delivery, but they don't make any move. And I think that's because they're not sure if the Americans would actually be able to give them cover if they did something like that. Let's face it, the B-2 bombers, we grounded all of those. So our, that nuclear deterrent is gone. The B-1 bomber is set up for conventional warfare, so they don't carry any type of nuclear weapons, which leaves the B-52s, which are, what are they, 50, 60 years old? 
they have no stealth technology, so they cannot penetrate Russia. All they could do is launch cruise missiles into Russia, China, wherever. And basically, the Russians have enough missiles, they could shoot almost all of them down. If Russia wanted to retaliate with the missiles they have, their new Satan missile being brought into the um, production stage in mass quantities, the United States cannot win a war against Russia. We can't run a conventional war against them because we don't have the troops in place. A nuclear war, we're going to lose. Russia is not going to exactly win it, but they're going to come out better than we are, especially if the Chinese get involved at the same time. Right now, the United States militarily is in the worst position it's been in since World War II and the Cold War. Back then, we had huge stockpiles. Well, we've given our stockpiles of armaments and everything else to the Ukrainians. We're down to a third of what we had, which is not enough to fight a battle. So you see, we're being drained. Europe is being drained. We're being brought down to the level of Russia or China, or maybe even lower than that. They know we're not a threat. We can sit here and saber rattle all day long. I don't think anybody really believes the United States is ever going to start a conventional war in Europe. Yeah, I mean, and we're not we're not unpatriotic to uh, you know make these observations. You know, uh, no. someone sent me a, a text recently. Uh, you know, what's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? And the answer is a pessimist has more information. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's pretty much what we're saying. We've just done the research and, and we recognize what God's plan is as spelled out in scripture. We recognize what's really happening from, from you know, your sources and from uh, your research. And a lot of this is just a matter of interpreting what's in plain sight. And so uh, uh, before we wrap up, any, any other you know, uh, news items that uh, you wanted to mention? Well, there's a new drug for ALS. Uh, it supposedly works. They don't know really if it does, but it's on the market. It's $158,000 a year. Wow. Your insurance doesn't cover it. So if you want to leverage your house, you can go ahead and um, supply that um, cash. And after that, I don't know what you would do, but that's for ALS, I, right? Yes. Yeah. I guess the thing I'd bring up again is I worry about the Armenians. It's not getting any type of press. There's 120,000 people over there in the same condition as Ukraine is in, but nobody cares. Right. Nobody mentions it. You know, in three months, will it even be there? We talk about genocide in Kosovo and Serbia. We talk about what's going on in the Ukraine, but if it involves a Christian, it doesn't matter. See, that's not important to me. And, and when you understand the, the role of the media, uh, in terms of advancing the Luciferian agenda, then you know, then you, you're able to see right through it. But <clears throat> the great hypocrisy is that at any given time, there are plenty of uh, countries that are facing atrocities and genocide and uh, you know other terrible plights, and yet you know it's not the Luciferians' goal at this moment to highlight them. They're wanting to move the chess pieces on the board according to their design and their plan. And so they, they highlight, you know, whatever it is at the moment. And then, you know, so many blind Americans just jump on board the bandwagon and say, Oh, we're, we're the moral compass for the world. And we've got to go help these poor people that are being, you know, persecuted and, you know, the, you know, facing genocide. And, and you're going, 
you're so naive to think that it's not about that. I mean, we should certainly we should help people, but it's not about that. It's about you know imperialistic uh, land grabs and and oil grabs and furthering the agenda of the global elite. And the evidence of that should be self-evident because if that was the motive, then why aren't we doing that in dozens of other places like Armenia where they have a need? But it's not about that. And people need to wake up and recognize that. That's very true. So, so we uh, hope that we'll get to see another Christmas. Yeah, it's going to be close. I tell you what, every every uh, week that goes by, you and I talk and we're thinking, boy, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. So. Well, I want to just uh, close uh, by returning to one of the verses we looked at at the outset, and that's back in Haggai. And uh, the book of Haggai, you know, great uh, post-exilic prophet. And, you know, the, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, and it says, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots. And those who ride in them, the, the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. So I guess my takeaway is that the Lord's in control. We trust him. Uh, we don't need to trust in the news or all of the realities that are happening at warp speed all around us. We want to stay focused on the word of God. If we don't, we'll lose restraint as we talk about Proverbs 29, 18. Uh, but, you know, let me encourage you, especially this time of year, uh, you know, look to the Lord, keep your, your, your face turned toward heaven and your eyes fixed on the Lord, because uh, these are uh, unsettling times. There's a lot of unrest out there, as we've talked about, but we know who holds the future and we know uh, what the plan is. And uh, God is faithful. He will not forsake his own. He will not uh, forget his covenants. Uh, you can count on them. And so uh, as you think about Christmas this year, uh, just remember God's in control, no matter what the Luciferians may be planning. And I want to encourage you uh, to uh, uh, watch for our Plum Creek Chapel Christmas Eve service. If you're in the Denver area, please come out and join us. It's at five o'clock mountain time, again, at Plum Creek Chapel, a suburb of Denver there in Sedalia, Colorado. If not, uh, we're going to post that message uh, at, immediately following the service. We'll post it at Not By Works. I'm going to be speaking on an unexpected birth and been working on that off and on this week while we're on vacation. Really looking forward to sharing what the Lord put on my heart for there. But until then, Randy, I wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm so grateful for you and your friendship and, and uh, your involvement here with Not By Works Ministries and keeping us updated. I know you spend a lot of time. Uh, and resources researching. Uh, tell us how folks can can reach you if they want to reach out to you directly. Well, uh, I've given them my email before, and that seems to be a good way to do it because with the uh, medical products, the, the antibiotics and stuff, we had a lot of response on that. If they need to get a hold of me, my uh, email is R, M is in Mary, E is in Edward, N is in Nancy, S is in Sam. A is an apple, 57 at AOL.com. And I have one more part to get here, hopefully tomorrow, and then my uh, radio system will be up. And we can use shortwave, we can use GMRS, FRS, we can use everything except military. 
So hopefully we'll get it set up so that there's communication there in case something happens. I think I've got enough wattage to hit Denver and a bunch of other places. And if I use a repeater, we'll be able to get anywhere in the United States. So it's okay, almost right. there. So yeah, uh, if you didn't catch that email, uh, let me repeat it one more time. R M as in Mary, E as in Echo, N as in Nancy, S as in Samantha, A as in Apple, five, seven at AOL.com. But you can also just email us directly at notbyworks.org. Just go to our website, notbyworks.org. Click on the contact button, email me. I'll be glad to pass along Randy's uh, contact info. Uh, encourage you to stock up on uh, antibiotics and stock up on other preparedness supplies. Happy to send out our preparedness list that Not By Works has put together. I think it's about 12 pages long of various topics and uh, things to think about and supplies and food and so forth. Um, but until then, Randy, I don't know if we'll talk before Christmas, but boy, I sure wish uh, you and yours a very Merry Christmas and uh, all of our listeners as well. The same to you, sir. And I hope the weather gets a little better so you can get back. Yeah, I hope so, too. We're going to be headed back uh, on uh, the 23rd, which is tomorrow. Uh, I'm heading back anyway. The family will be following close behind uh, the next day, but I'll be back in time for the Christmas Eve service at Plum Creek. So thanks again. God bless everyone and Merry Christmas.